life is never easy. Life's not always swell. It's not always breezy. Sometimes it's just hell. Life ain't always grand. Sometimes it just sucks. We're here to lend you a hand and help you give up. Greetings, humans, and welcome to our show, a podcast where two self-saboteurs plot our escape from our own inner darkness. I'm Darren. And I'm Miji. And this And this is, is self-help. I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get it. <laughs> You're gonna get it at some point. Uh, I wrote this. <laughs> uh, I might have you wrote this. So Miji, what's your self-hell this week? My self-hell this week is racism. <laughs> oh, wow. I blew you out of the water last time, and now you're trying to blow me out of the water. I get it. It's fine. It, it is won. much more specific than that. That's, that's the grandiose version. Uh, more specifically, someone posted on Facebook today a, a graphic. In their state, there are elections happening today. Not elections. There's a, a vote happening today. And one of the measures is to add a law that makes it illegal to discriminate against people based on their ethnicity or race, which is not in their state constitution anywhere. Uh, But in this graphic that they posted, it said it's already illegal to discriminate against people. So this is just going to be abused by people if we pass it. So vote no on this bill or whatever it is. And I was like, I feel like they wouldn't be putting that in the mm-hmm. election if that was the case. So I looked it up. I looked up the state's constitution, and sure enough, it's not in there. Yeah. It is a federal law, um, but there have been issues where within that state, someone is discriminated against, so they try to sue the company, and it goes to state court, and states like, it's technically not illegal here, so it's going to have to go to federal court. And by the time it escalates like that, the person who's suing them is out of money, and they can't oh, yeah. stay in court anymore and the people that are being discriminated against are marginalized communities so they need that state yeah. protection yeah. i didn't say all of that but i i did comment which no. i usually don't do i was like hey here's your state's constitution this is this one sentence that's being added you actually looked up the constitution i did <laughs> <laughs> i'm a little extra uh but I, I wanted to make sure that like what i was saying was also accurate and it wasn't just my yeah. opinion um but like additionally, there were no like links or references in that post. And I was like, if there aren't any references, it's probably not true. And sure enough, it's got bipartisan support across the board. Like it's mm. just hateful rhetoric and I'm not okay with it. So what my self-hell was is even after posting that and like being like, this is what's actually going on, I couldn't stop thinking about it for so long. I was just like so worked up that like this person is spreading lies and but i can't i can't do anything about that like i can i can say what needs to be said and hope that they take it to heart if they don't that's that's not my problem that's that's on them wow sounds like cbt working for you Mm. cbt (laughs) it's it's magic that's what magic cbt that's what the b in cbt stands for magic Mm -hmm. Um, my self-hell this week is that my, uh, HDMI cable is slowly breaking. So my screen is going yellow. (laughs) That is (laughs) so not all the time. I can't figure out like what I need to do to make it. I've got like, it's like taped up against my desk. I can't figure out what I can do consistently to make it. So my screen doesn't go yellow, but it's definitely, um, doing that. And that's my self-hell. It seems a little trivial sometimes, but we that's seem, what I've got We for seem you. to have this like teeter-tottering. <laughs> yeah. One of us has self-help. a really trivial self-hell and the other one is like racism. <laughs> <laughs> so this week we are going to be talking about what it looks like to look for a therapist. Um, we are going to look at flags for when you should maybe seek out a therapist. We're going to talk about different kinds of therapists And then next week, we're going to get into different theoretical orientations that counselors have and what it looks like to have a good fit for a counselor. Yeah, all of that. (laughs) Would you like me to to take it away with flags? Yeah, I think so. Okay, I'm going to do that. 
so I did do a little bit of research. I have my own flags for what might be an indicator you might need therapy. According to Akanksha Sony from Calm Sage, which is like a yoga website based on their branding, uh, these are some of the flags that they have that might indicate you need therapy. One of them is your emotions are unstable, out of control, or too intense for your comfort. Uh, that one's pretty self-explanatory, I feel. If you feel like you can't regulate your emotions, might need to talk to someone about that. Yep. Talk to someone about that. I know how to speak, I promise. <laughs> uh, another one, trouble coping with or processing trauma. Yeah. If your relationships are fading and you're noticing it's happening all around you, chances are it's not them. It's you. When it's happening to everybody around you, maybe it's you. <laughs> if your physical health is poor and doesn't align with injuries such as car accident or something, uh, common ways that this happens if something is wrong with your brain and not your body is headache, muscle pain, fatigue, inflammation. Those can also be indicators that you have a cold. <laughs> but if it is persistent and keeps coming back and is getting in the way of your life, especially, maybe consider what's up with your brain. And if you have a good counselor, then the odds are that they're like, hey, you have recurrent headaches. You should probably go see a doctor about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so um, if you have a counselor worth anything and you're like, man, my muscles hurt all the time, then they're going to be like, have you considered a massage therapist? Like they're not just going to hog all of the things. No. and claim to know the diagnosis for everything, they're going to be like, this could be a physical problem. You're having heart palpitations. How about you go to a doctor and check that out? Not just, we'll just fix everything through talk therapy, if that makes sense. Yeah. And if they do say that, they're probably a narcissist wow. and not a good person to be wow. in this field. <laughs> wow. Throwing blows over here, Meiji. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in kind of a cheeky mood tonight. Don't know where it's coming from, but I'm just going to ride this wave. I love it. Let's go. Cool. Let's go for Point it. Point number nine from Calm Sage, often apathetic, especially towards things that used to excite or bother you. Uh, so if you have little pet peeves and suddenly they just don't bother you anymore and it's not because you have like a self-awareness that allows those things to just kind of pass away without mattering, if it's because you just can't care, that sounds a lot like depression or anxiety or any number of things when it comes to like... Uh, comorbidity and crossover of issues last one on their site is social withdrawal 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 with i don't really know how withdrawal. to say that word out loud this is very similar to relationships fading uh if you find that you're not really being invited out much you're spending a lot of time at home and you're just generally being alone and it's not just a recharge because you need more energy that's that's a red flag uh, Miji's red flags for therapy. If you're wondering if you should talk to a therapist, you should probably yeah. talk to a therapist. That's my number one. At least just give it a whirl. Yeah. Like what? what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. When I read if your relationships are fading on the website, I thought, well, also if your sense of self self is fading, yeah. that's, that's an indicator as well. Like if you don't really know what your identity is, Worse yet, if your sense of self never existed, if you realize that you've never really had your own values, opinions, or anything, and you've just kind of always based your beliefs on what other people have told you to believe, red flag. Figure it out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if you feel like everyone is out to get you and generally you aren't a shitty person, that's also an indicator. Like, there's never going to be a case where everyone that you know is trying to make you feel awful unless you just are an awful person, in which case you should probably also go to therapy anyway, <laughs> but for different reasons. Uh, but yeah, if it just seems like nothing is going your way and everything sucks, chances are it's your outlook, not the world. Although sometimes the world just sucks. That's why I have all these clients during the pandemic because... Good yeah. time to become a therapist. Yeah, huge wait list. <laughs> it's really great question mark. Yeah. Great that the need is being met. Sad that we can't quite meet it yet. Yeah. Mixed emotions, like everything. If you find that people are often asking if you're okay and you get defensive about it, that's a Miji red flag that you should probably talk to someone about it because they're probably genuinely trying to check in on you because they care about you. Uh, some people ask if you're okay because they just want the dirt or the tea uh -huh. or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but 
yeah, if you find yourself getting defensive every time someone is expressing interest, red flag. If your work or school performance is steadily declining, that's another strong indicator that something's up. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're typically able to keep up with things. Um, everyone struggles every once in a while, but if it's constant, definitely talk to someone about that. Cool. That's the end of that list. <laughs> I'm actually just reading this time instead of elaborating on every single point. Uh, so when you decide for yourself, yeah, I should probably talk to someone about these issues. What do you say to a therapist? Yeah. Well, it's important to kind of lay out some logistics first, how often you want to visit, how long you want therapy to last, and ask if there are any other resources resources you can find to help with your therapy. Chances are your counselor, therapist, whatever, knows some things that'll help you out, like websites, podcasts, um, meditations, whatever. Uh, I Most of my like self-help resources that I tell other people about, I got from a therapist at some point in my... Journey. Journey, yeah. In your self-help journey. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my only thing would be how often do you want to visit? Normally, it's like once a week is what I like all of the therapists that I work with generally start with once a week. Um, sometimes after a while of seeing a client, I'm a humanist. So my style of therapy is a little different than other people's styles of therapy. There are unique differences to everyone and how they counsel. But for me, most of the time starts off once a week. And then sometimes after a while, if they're like growing and developing and don't need therapy as often, we'll go biweekly. Um, and then I have some people that are just like, can I just check in with you sometimes? And I'm like, heck yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Asking what kind of therapy they practice specifically can also give you some insight into what this process will be like and asking how you know that you're making progress throughout the therapy. Because um, sometimes it's not obvious to the client uh, that they're actually making progress. Like it wasn't obvious to me until my therapist actually pointed it out, like I would be talking about something and she would be like, that's new. You didn't used to do that. And I'd be like, whoa, you're right. And now because she's pointed them out to me, I've been a lot better at realizing that for myself now. And that's something that as a therapist that like I need to keep in mind that like mm. people need to know that they're making progress. And for, for me, like the thing that I've just come to realize in it's, it's when that transition into biweekly is coming. It's like, I can feel it. I can feel it. Like I can <laughs> feel it when people are ready to transition to transition from every week to every other week. And it's just like this sixth sense that I have that it's like, oh man, these people are ready. <laughs> like they're ready to- that might be empathy. Yeah, it could be. The magic <laughs> word, empathy. Um, I, I had to do a few terminations recently because I'm trying to move to LA. Broken record, I'm trying to move to LA. Um, <laughs> and I've had to do terminations. And one of the things that's been helpful in terminations is to help reflect with the client on the progress they've made. Nice. I don't know how many practicing therapists or psychologists will be listening to our podcast, <laughs> but if you are, uh, I can say without a shadow of a doubt that if your client is a millennial, and especially if they're Generation Z or stuck between as a zillennial, they thrive on feedback more than any other generation. And it drives me crazy. It drives me <laughs> so crazy because, again, I, I mentioned this earlier, but I'm a humanistic therapist and we'll go into details about what that means about me, but I don't assign homework. My whole thing is like unconditional positive regard is the way to transform a life. People don't have unconditional positive regard for themselves. Other people haven't shown them unconditional positive regard. So they don't have a sense of self-worth. And my whole thing in therapy is saying you're worth it. No matter what you do, you're still valuable as a human. And that means that you don't get to come in and get a sticker for doing homework. Like you're worthy without the sticker. <laughs> So that's something that's hard for um, my younger clients to kind of grasp sometimes. But like, man, humanism doesn't work well with the CBT model of homework and like markers of success. So it has to look different in my therapy sessions. Um, yes, I had a very good experience with 
homework and my the therapist that I had that I liked so much uh that was that was my CBT therapist and she did assign homework for me like uh things to listen to to watch to write whatever and there were times that I didn't do the homework and I would show up and I would just be mortified that I yeah. let her down and I'd be like hey I didn't I didn't do the thing you asked me to do and her reaction was always the same it was always that's fine if you didn't want to do it you're not going to get anything yeah. out of it anyway yeah and I always appreciated that so much because if it had been the opposite where like she was disappointed that I didn't oh, do the yeah. homework, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been effective. And I think that's like the marker of a good therapist to not guilt mm. you from not doing homework. Like, Seriously. But I wouldn't assign it. Sometimes sometimes I'll be like I'll go a little behavioral and I'll be like, what if you did this behavioral thing that would help with your addiction? And sometimes I'll even go so far as to be like, how about you buy the thing that we're talking about right now so that you can implement it in your life and that will help with addiction with a very behavioral thing. So I'm a humanist, but I'm also like a little jazz hand behavioral technique stuff for addictions as well. But um, I think I'm one of the few therapists that'll be like, you want to do that now? You want to send that email now? You want to write the journal post now you want to do the homework now um but yeah i think that can be really effective especially people who are lacking motivation because of depression just being like you want to do that now in therapy you want to send that email <laughs> it's a lot less scary while i'm sitting here do you want to do it now question have yes. you found in your work that people that are prone to addiction are also prone to impulsivity um it's the dopamine fix right because mm -hmm. I'm thinking yeah. that would be very effective in uh, an addiction counseling scenario, be if that is the case. I'm I'm speculating that it is based on my knowledge of human nature, uh, and being someone who's prone to addiction and impulsivity. Uh, that that would be super effective to me because I like in the moment, one I'd be just super excited. Cause I'm like, yeah, let's do this. Let's get on it. But also that uh, accountability is yeah live at the same time. Like so all that to say good on you good method yeah most of the addiction that i that i see in my clients i have a bunch of college age clients and almost all of them struggle with porn and masturbation addiction so a lot of them the behavioral stuff is just getting out of bed in the morning hmm. like just get out of bed or get the device that you struggle with that you're um tempted by or whatever get that out of the bedroom <laughs> um Get it as far away as possible. Get up and take a shower immediately. Get There are a lot of really like behavioral things that I deal with when I'm dealing with porn and masturbation addiction that like sometimes the thing is buying an alarm clock so that you're not attached to your phone at night. Mm. Like you want to buy that in session? Like let's do that. And I've done that with mm. numerous clients where I'm like, you want to, you want to, don't just postpone this thing. This is a behavioral thing that can help you. Let's get on Amazon right now and do it and you'll have it in two days. So stuff like that, or like students um, being afraid to send a professor an email about something. It's like, you want to write, let's brain, I'm great at writing emails. You want to brainstorm right now on what the emails are? And then just going in there and helping them write the email on the spot nice. has been effective. Very cool. I do want to point out that masturbation is healthy. Addiction is not. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that's actually something that I think horrifies all of the Christian therapists that I talk to because like when Christians come in and they're like, um, this is a sin issue, all of this stuff. I'm actually a therapist who will be like, are, are you bothered by the fact that you do this? Like, are you bothered by the fact that you masturbate? Because I mean, it's a dirty word, right? The internet's going to freak out that we're talking about masturbation. <laughs> um, but it's, but that's fine, whatever. I'm so desensitized to it at this point. But I've had clients come in and they're like, I know that I should feel guilty about this because X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, I'm not going to try and encourage you to feel guilty about anything. Um, I'm not going to try and trick you into feeling like you have an addiction when you don't have an addiction. Like if you're not feeling guilty about this issue, then like more power to you. Do whatever you want. But that's probably the humanist shining through me. <laughs> Yeah. It horrifies all of the Christians in my life that I feel that way. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Google it. Look at any any scientific paper written on masturbation. It's actually a necessity for male health. Great. Fun fact. Cool.
what do you say to your therapist? Those are the things that Ayashi Kapoor recommends. Miji, number one. I've got a big old number one, just like I did with uh, whether or not you need therapy. Tell the truth. Just be honest with your therapist because if you aren't planning to hurt yourself or hurt someone else, they're bound by patient confidentiality laws. Um, there are some, there's some other ways that they might need to report you when it comes to criminal things. Um, like if a client commits a crime and the psychologist is called to witness, for example, they do have to tell the truth. Legally, legally, they're uh, obliged. This is the, this is the tricky thing. Legally, they're obliged. Ethically, they're not. So ethically, you don't share anything. Morally, it's like suspect. Legally, you're obliged, but ethically, like there are real concerns ethically about whether you can actually share and like snitch on your client. Are you allowed to refuse being called as a witness? You can just say that you're not an expert witness. That's like you shut it down. You're like, I'm not an expert witness in this case. Not an expert witness in this case. Can't speak to it. Not an expert. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's how you take the moral high ground in that scenario if it so suits you. So that's all on that. But those are the few exceptions. So tell the truth. Chances are they've heard it before. They're a therapist. Oh, yeah. They've heard everything. Oh, um, for sure. Especially if you're there for uh, a specialist like an addictions counselor or any, any kind of specialist. But I feel like addiction therapy, especially people are always very self-conscious of their addictions, but they've heard it all. And even if I haven't heard it all, I am not surprised. <laughs> yeah. um, I've had people admit to like sexual assault, like sexually assaulting people. And it's like, I, I don't know if it's because I'm a humanist again, but like the, the idea of worth like complicates all of my feelings regarding <laughs> it um, because it comes down to, is this person still worth something? If the legal action has been taken, are they still worthy of and valuable? And again, that's really tough for like counseling interns to figure out mm. because you have all of these preconceived judgments that you just have to let go. Yeah. And be the therapist for the person that you're talking to. I've adopted a philosophy in life that I came up with on the spot during a breakup talk <laughs> <laughs> with a previous boyfriend. And I said, while the action is inexcusable, the human is still redeemable. Yeah. And that is always the case. I don't care how heinous the action is. Humans can change. And sometimes it's overnight. And it's hard to believe that because usually change takes time. And we do have a lot of like deep, innate characteristics that inevitably come back out at some point. But every human can change and can change for the better. But that doesn't mean that somebody who's being abused should stay in the abusive situation. No. Agreed. So if you're getting harmed more in the situation, remove yourself from that situation. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want you involved in that situation at all. And um, I don't know, maybe again, it's the humanism coming out. <laughs> um, but it's like, I care about my client and what my client is doing and how my client is feeling and all of that stuff. So I'm very protective of them in that situation where it's like, you don't need to be involved <laughs> in something that's hurting you. No. Um, I talk about distress tolerance and values, and this is a very dialectical behavioral, uh, very dialectical behavioral therapy technique. Um, but like identifying what your values are, and then recognizing that if you're not in alignment with your values, you're going to have distress in your life. Mm. And sometimes you opt for that distress by following a value that you want to have but don't have. So if it's like a third level value, like your value is friendship and you're prioritizing that over your first uh, level value, which is education, then you're going to have some distress, but you're choosing to value friendship over education in this situation. You're going to be stressed out by it, and we can deal with the effects of being stressed out by it. But if you're prioritizing things differently because you want to live a certain way, then you're going to be in distress. And so distress tolerance is a huge part of DBT. Um, I feel like I've rambled there for a while and that none of it makes sense. That made a lot of sense. Uh, it actually <laughs> hit home for me a little bit. <laughs> uh, I, uh, hmm. I struggled with that hard for a long time. My supervisor currently is Deb Gordon. She has a book called Embracing Uncomfortable, Facing Our Fears While Pursuing Purpose. She has an exercise in her book where you identify values 
Um, and she talks about DBT techniques for addressing the distress tolerance after you have identified the values. Because in one's life, you're not stressed out for no reason. Hmm. Uh, most of the time you're stressed out because you haven't said no in a situation that you should have said no <laughs> to. And now you're building resentment <laughs> or you're not honoring your own values. And therefore you're in distress because you're living inconsistently with what you value. Not all distress is bad. Like sometimes we choose to live in distress to prioritize things that aren't necessarily our values, but it's a trigger for me when somebody's stressed out about something to mm -hmm. recognize what their values are and show them where their priorities are. That's, that's great. That's good stuff. So yeah, be honest. Uh, that's number one. Number two, what is your specialty, if any? Hopefully you'll know this before you actually get there, so you'll have to ask when you get there. Uh, but most therapists will have a specialty um, because of a special interest or whatever. It doesn't really matter where the specialty comes from, but they probably have one. So find out what it is and make sure it's in line with what you're looking for. I always see child therapists and child psychiatrists. That's just a weird fact about me. I think it takes a certain kind of person to have not not exclusively child therapists, <laughs> but like people who work in like play therapy and with children. It takes a certain kind of person to work with children. Mm. And I respect that so much that I give them extra grace in therapy. They have to be like an adult therapist as well. I'm not going to go like to a children's only therapist, yeah. but somebody who also has a specialization in children and bilingual. Like, I really respect bilingual hmm. therapists. And I would opt for a bilingual therapist, even though I only speak English, because it says something about who they are as an individual. Hmm. That's a good point. Nice. So it's not a specialty that I actually need. Yeah. But, like, that's something that I, like, always keep into consideration. Yeah, that's a great point. Number three, outline why you're there and what you want to get out of therapy. Uh, that helps yeah. the therapist establish goals and helps them guide you into those goals uh, and also will kind of give you an idea of whether or not they can see your trajectory. Yeah. Goals are a really important part of therapy. Mm -hmm. um, and I put that weight onto the client. Some therapists feel the burden of goals on themselves and I'm like, you need to tell me what you want. <laughs> you need to tell me what you want to talk about and what your goals are because I can't make that up for you. So coming prepared to therapy is important. Um, another thing I'll say is it's okay if your goal is just to come in week by week and process your week. Yep. Like if that's something that you need and that's not something you're going to get in other places, then that's a fair enough goal to have somebody that you can talk to every week. Yep. The next one is tell your therapist, psychologist, whoever you're talking to about yourself. That includes interests, friends, family, hobbies, work, whatever could be relevant to your issue or even just your personality. It helps them kind of build a profile of you and kind of get to know you on a deeper level beyond just the one thing that you're bringing to them specifically. Um, I made that up based on my experience as a client is that actually helpful from a therapist's perspective? Yeah. Um, one of the things that a lot of counseling groups will have is like an interview packet that asks like everything. So like, um, what, are, what are your parents, what's your relationship like with your parents, which is very psychodynamic and I'm totally into it. Um, what is your relationship with your parents? Um, do you have any uh, history of drugs in your family? Is there any history of mental health conditions? Any history of taking psychotropic medicines? Um, all of this stuff. And then at the end, I always say, is there anything else that I should know about you that I didn't ask in this? Mm. And sometimes the answer is, yeah, I'm really into kickboxing. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> great, cool. Um, because that checks off the, that checks off the like, um, do you exercise box for me? And I'm like, this is great. I love that. Um, so yeah, I think that it's important for therapists to know things about interests um, that a person has, but they should have some sort of interview format where they're asking about friends, families, hobbies, work, where you work, and what your issues are. Mm, something structured? So, ideally. I, I have always found that the structure is helpful. I go through the structured packets really quickly, though. I'm not expecting that during the first two sessions I'm going to learn everything about a client. Yeah, that takes time. Um, yeah. Especially the deep stuff. And it, it really is like a boss asks, 
boss ass move <laughs> when you just take the packet and you just move it to the side and you're like so tell me about you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like that <laughs> yeah you just as soon that's that's also a trigger that the session is over i take my notepad and i like fold it up and put it on the desk next to me and then clients are like oh we're done now or right now with covid it's like i take my mask and i like get ready to put it on and they're like oh that's the sign that the session is over <laughs> in the book that i mentioned at the top maybe you should talk to someone by Lori gottlieb she talks about how her therapist will like pat his legs <laughs> to signify the end of session <laughs> but i find the notepad putting the notepad to the side really works well for me uh also make sure that you accept and acknowledge they're also a human they will have off days they will have life events They'll be affected by their clients' therapy, whether or not they show Sometimes it. they have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> and they just that. need to say, like, <laughs> that's a burden that the counselor has, too, because you're supposed to, like, have this space that, like, you're supposed to leave all of your issues at the door, right? And be there for your client. But sometimes, like, it's okay to just be like, I am so sorry. I didn't sleep well last night. And I'm going to not charge you for this session. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, sometimes you just have to own as a counselor that things are going on. And like, I, it is so much worse for me as a counselor if I don't excuse myself to go to the bathroom if I need to, than it is for me to sit in session needing to go to the bathroom. Yeah. I used to use that feeling of needing to go to the bathroom as an illustration to explain to neurotypical people what it's like to have ADHD. Because when you have to go to the bathroom, all you can think about all is you can think about. how bad yeah. you have to go to the bathroom. And ADHD is very much like that where there's something that is taking control of your brain and you don't want to think about it. You have other things to do, but this is taking precedence and you can't do anything else until it's taken care of. Which is why as a counselor, you should just be like, I am so sorry. Do you mind if I go to the bathroom? And most of the time, clients are going to be like, no problem. Yeah. I, I would value that in a counselor or therapist Primarily, I think just because of how humanizing it is and yeah. it kind of op opens up the vulnerability for me to feel more comfortable to humanize myself and be more honest from a client and perspective. And I will say that that's only happened to me once as a counselor <laughs> because every other time between session, you have like 10 minutes to write a note and go to the bathroom and then say hey to one of your colleagues. <laughs> like <laughs> you fit so much into those 10 minutes and like always on my list is going to the bathroom. Like forever that's going to be one of my list every hour i don't even have to pee sometimes i just go to the bathroom and think about things yep. um but only once have i skipped the bathroom and then had to pee during session and just like oh gosh this is the worst feeling ever i should have taken a break from the session to do that but i didn't uh so yeah those are things to consider saying to your therapist uh, in the first session or screening call if you have the chance to do that uh, but how do you find a therapist it can it can be a hassle quite frankly it's complicated yeah it's complicated i would recommend starting with your friend circles because if they're friends with you they probably have things in common with you even things you don't know you might have in common like things you would only tell a therapist for example uh so ask your friends or ask us you've got our email <laughs> i will say though one of the things that people can get really awkward about is if they share a therapist and then they're like not saying certain things because the therapist knows the other person. I've seen like roommates before. And for me, it's no problem. But sometimes the person will have an issue with it. Yeah, I could see that. Um, and then they won't share the way that they are. So if you're going to feel weird about that or you're not going to want to share with your therapist because your friend goes there too, then like keep that in mind and maybe find someone else. Yeah, some people have already been in therapy and have already kind of sorted through the quacks and the therapists that aren't great um, and can at the very least tell you who not to go to uh, if you are trying to avoid going to the same therapist. Um, APA.org, which is the uh, American Psychological Association, uh, if you go to their website, APA.org, and click Psychology Help Center up at the top, you can find um, psychologists and therapists that way. Uh, I think Psychiatry.org also has a similar tool. If I'm not psychology mistaken. Uh, psychology Today also has a Yes, Psychology tool. Today has a great one. Yeah. Um, if you're looking at a psychologist, um, then I think ZocTalk has them too. Yep. And it's got good reviews and stuff. Yep. That's I send everyone to 
For psychiatrists at my practice, I send everyone to ZocDoc. Uh, if you are trying to get your insurance to pay for your therapy, I would start at your insurance portal where they will have all of your in-network uh, providers. I will say in my client experience, if they take insurance, they're probably not the best. Oh, wow. That's sad. <laughs> yeah, I... I said that slowly because I'm, I'm, I know that that's not across the board true. Generally speaking, though, if they don't take insurance, it's because they don't have to. Or because they don't want to deal with that. Yeah, it is. Like insurance is the worst to deal mm-hmm. with. Um, so some people just they can get clients and they don't have to deal with it and they don't want to deal with it. Um, I have only seen therapists that are um, covered by insurance and... Um, some of the therapists that I've seen didn't work out because of personality differences. Mm-hmm. Some of them, I mean, one, I just thought he was the worst. And <laughs> so I only saw him for a couple months. Um, but therapeutic fit is a big issue, but I haven't had issues like you're describing where it's like, because they take insurance, they're the worst. Yeah. I may have, that may have been a coincidence that I attributed to fact just based on my experience because <laughs> I finally went out of network and that's where I found a therapist found that actually worked for me yeah um, so that could have just been my experience so thank you for uh, shedding some light on that yeah when you do find someone if you can call ahead and do a phone screen similar to like when a company calls you to phone screen you before a job interview it's just kind of like getting some general idea of what that person is like because you might just kind of feel off in that initial phone screen and you don't have to pay for an entire session just to find out I'm not really into this person Um, and the same for them a lot of times you'll get a therapist voicemail so it's hard to I mean they'll have to call you back a lot of them have blocked numbers (laughs) um (laughs) but um I had a ther- I had a therapist that I was going to see who actually picked up the call that I was hmm. calling her for the original like, hey, I'm looking for a therapist. And that freaked me out so much that she actually <laughs> picked up the phone call. And she was like, yeah, you were kind of like very assertive on the phone call. And I was like, that's because I was freaking out because what therapist answers her phone? And she's like, yeah, that's weird. But like, why are you freaking out? <laughs> I'm like, okay, we can just like simmer down here. But Um, a lot of the times, like I, my phone automatically goes to voicemail when clients call me. I was just living through my phone anxiety as you were talking about that. (laughs) Any phone She picked up the phone. Oh my gosh. She picked up the phone. I can't even believe it. Phone conversations are a big issue for me that I have not been able to get over. Uh, and I often get the same kind of feedback where like, you were really assertive, but you're really nice in person. And I'm not sure what's up with that. And I'm like, oh, I just don't know how to talk on the phone because there's yeah. no human there. And I don't know how to interact with robots. Oh, like voicemails? Um, leaving a voicemail, I'm a little more okay with, but like live phone calls, video chats, I'm yeah. fine. Um, but if it's over the phone, like I, I just struggle my brain just kind of shuts down and it's pretty frustrating, but that's, that's my life. That was a series of tangents. Try multiple if you aren't clicking. Try multiple if you aren't clicking. If you find that a therapist just doesn't really feel right, move on. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I've had, um, I actually had the grieving. I, my first therapy experiences were with therapist interns at my college. And like, it's so tough to get into the counseling center at my college that it's like, you kind of take what you get, Um, which can be bad because I had some bad fits in that and they're just in training. And some of them, like some of the people I went to school with, I would not recommend to anyone. Mm. (laughs) So like to have an intern, it's like some of the people that I also wouldn't want to go to school with because I don't trust them. Um, but suffering through weekly sessions with somebody that you are not a good fit with isn't great. Um, and there's like a process where you're trying to figure out the therapeutic relationship, but like you get to a point where it's like, it's okay for you to see another counselor if it's not working. Yep. And if it's a good counselor, they should say, Hey, I feel like this isn't working. Like, what do you need from me? What do you want? 
Like, not what do you want, but like, what do you need that you're not getting right now? And where am I not meeting your expectations? And having that really awkward conversation where it's like, what are your goals and how are we accomplishing them? And what are you looking for? Um, A good therapist will do that when things they sense are getting awkward. Make sure that you are intentional and direct about what you're looking for. That falls into that honesty vein of thought again. Uh, if you're beating around the bush constantly and not actually just saying what you're there for, you're just wasting your time and their time and you're paying for it. And I would respect it so much if a client was just like, this isn't working for me. I'd be like, great. What do you need? I had a client like that recently where she was like, this isn't working for me. And I was like, great, let's set up a session and we'll talk about what isn't working for you. And one of the things that wasn't working was that I wasn't giving her enough time to um, prepare for the end of the session. Hmm. So I was like, great. And now I say, okay, we have 15 minutes left. Oh, we have 10 minutes left. Oh, we ha- I like nice. am neurotic about it now. But like one of the things that wasn't working that she like was intentional and direct about was timing. So I made a change. And your therapist can make a change if things aren't working. You just have to give them the opportunity to do that. And sometimes like that makes all the difference in the therapeutic relationship. So you don't have to ditch a therapist because it's not working. Be direct about what's not working and maybe the problem can be solved. Cool. Yeah. Be direct. Be sincere. Be intentional. Be transparent. You'll be just fine. Lastly, when you know, you know. Every therapist I've ever had that just worked for me, it's usually in the first few sessions that I'm like, yep, this is this is going to be a good relationship. Um, sometimes yeah. it does take a little longer, but it's most often near the beginning of the relationship. And it's like any person that you meet where you just kind of click organically and it's just easy to have conversations with them and be vulnerable with them and laugh with them and all the things. Um, and some people can do that with everyone and they make great therapists and great politicians uh, and great friends. Uh, but sometimes that's not what you're looking for necessarily. Sometimes you need someone who won't take your crap and will just kind of like call you out on it. Um, And I say that because that was kind of when therapy changed for me. I was like bouncing around to different therapists because no one was really working because they were all just too nice. And I, some of them, I kind of felt like this this is where my ego is going to come out a little bit. I could feel like I was like, dancing in intellectual circles around them to avoid talking about yeah. what was actually happening. Um, and maybe they it's were awful. onto it. Yeah, it's, it's bad. Uh, maybe they were onto it the whole time and just were waiting for me to get there. But eventually I uh, was seeing someone, I think she was actually a psychiatrist, um, but I was going to her for therapy as well as um, drug prescriptions. And eventually she was like, so you keep saying this and I haven't believed you ever. So what's actually going on there? And I was, yeah. and then I just, I would call everything. that out too. Yeah. And that is so valuable to me because that's what I need in therapy because I'm so reserved and I don't know, hesitant to share anything, which is changing a lot. Having a podcast, like I'm trying to be <laughs> very real and vulnerable so that anyone that listens to this knows that we're going through the same shit that you're going through and it's not easy, but we can get through it. Yeah. So, um, I'm not sure if this is the best place to mention it, but I'm going to mention it anyway. There is this book called maybe you should talk to someone. I believe it was on the bestseller list. I'm not for sure about that. Um, but it's by Lori Gottlieb. Um, she has more letters in her name than seems like should pronounce Gottlieb, (laughs) but I Googled it. And the Google Voice says it's Gottlieb. So if Google Voice says so, then it's probably it. Um, But she talks about her perspective as a therapist and being a therapist that sees a therapist, um, which is an interesting thing altogether. Like, I'm a therapist that sees a therapist. Brene Brown talks about being a therapist who sees a therapist and how you need a certain kind of person to see a therapist (laughs) um, because um, you can, like, like you were saying, you can run circles around somebody who's not prepared to see a therapist. Yeah. Um, therapist seeing therapists. I sometimes to my therapist, I'm just like, I already know. 
I already know. <laughs> I know all of these theoretical orientations because one of my things is like, I need somebody to hold me accountable to my mental health. Mm. Like I need somebody that I can do process therapy with, but I need somebody that I can check in with and be like, what kind of mood are you getting off me right now? Like, I'm worried about like what I'm putting out right now. Is this the energy that you would expect from me in mm. this moment? Or am I uh, projecting the wrong energy for the situation? Like where my mood, where's my mood in check right now? Um, but like when it comes down to like behavior, behavioral or like CBT, DBT techniques, I'm like, I already know all of that stuff. <laughs> She's like, I know, you know, all that stuff. And I'm like, don't even tell me behavioral techniques. She's like, I wouldn't even try to tell you behavioral techniques. <laughs> like there's no way. Um, so even therapists that that's one point, um, you should have a therapist that either is having consultation groups with people in a group practice is not fully licensed yet and has supervision or is willing to disclose the fact that they're seeing a counselor too, <laughs> because I think that this shouldn't happen in a vacuum. Um, therapists shouldn't just be existing in their own world. They should be consulting with other therapists, getting ideas on like clients that they're struggling with, or seeing a supervisor who can give them like ideas on what a client is going through and how to help with that, or is seeing their own counselor to like figure out their own issues. I think that that's important to have one of those three things at least going on. One of the things that I do with my therapist is when she's taking notes, I aggressively ask what she's taking notes about. Hmm. If I'm like, if I'm like hemming and hawing about something and she's like taking notes, I'm like, what are you writing? What are you writing down there? And she's like, I'm just taking, like, I'm just taking notes. Like, what is your deal? I'm like, what are you? And she's like, oh, I'm just saying that you were depressed about your cats being sick. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense because that's literally what I just said. But I, as a, as a, client i can get pretty aggressive about note-taking huh. what are you writing what did you just write down i think this is a this is a stark testament of our differences because i my most recent therapist didn't take notes but every other therapist i've ever been to did and i always wanted to do that but was always terrified oh, yeah. to ask because i felt like i wasn't allowed to ask oh no what they're writing you're allowed to see your whole file what? Um, that's like part of the like uh, confidentiality agreement that you you sign. Like you're allowed. This is true of like any medical profession. You're allowed to ask request for your file and the notes that they are taking on you. Hmm. Um, so you can do it officially, or you can just be like, "What'd you just write? <laughs> Tell me what you just wrote about me." <laughs> Which I have a good enough therapeutic relationship with my therapist that she's like, "Yeah, I'll tell you like <laughs> what. It's fine. Like here's." fine. What do you want to know? Hmm. So I figured I'd talk about like different kinds of therapists. Um, one, you mentioned psychiatrists. Um, psychiatrists are medical doctors um, whose focus is on prescribing psychotropic medicines. Um, you can send people to an, a psychiatrist for an evaluation for medicine, or they might see a psychiatrist like monthly or every couple weeks or every three months um, based on like the psychiatrist's preference and confidence in your ability to stick to medicine. Um, they have some training in like interpersonal counseling, but not a lot. Um, I've had psychiatrists before who are like total, like they wanna see you for an hour so that they can do psychotherapy in addition to medicine prescription mm -hmm. i've had psychiatrists in the past who are like 15 minutes in and out <laughs> yep. do you need anything changed um or who will do like phone appointments like do you need anything changed no i don't great here's the extra prescription so i've seen psychiatrists on all spectrums i prefer to get my counseling from a counselor um because of the specific training and counseling but some people psychiatrists do it for them so yep. great so for psychologists there are two different kinds of psychologists. There are doctorates of philosophy in psychology and doctorates in psychology. Um, PhDs, doctorates of philosophy in psychology, um, are more research-oriented um, in their uh, degrees. Um, if they have a degree in clinical psychology, then they're capable of doing clinical psychology and counseling. PsyDs, doctorate of psychology, um, can also have a degree in clinical psychology or counseling psychology, they have more training in clinical work than PhDs in uh, psychology would have. A therapist or a counselor has specific 
training in counseling for two years, including like training in ethics and um, group therapy, family therapy, individual therapy, counseling theories, all kinds of coursework like that. Typically, it's a two-year degree. Um, there's a Council for Accreditation of Clinical Mental Health Programs that kind of regulates that. Um, some degrees are three years long. Some of them are two years long, um, but they're focused heavily on counseling. Social workers focus more on like systemic issues and social justice issues, um, but they can become uh, licensed clinical social workers and have the ability to counsel based on the state, based on regulations. So you could see a social worker for counseling. I don't recommend it because most of their training is not in clinical therapy, but it's fine. I kind of wish that I was a social worker because of the diversity of experience that they get to have, but it's fine. In addition to being a psychologist or a therapist or social worker, you can also have like extra certifications in things like play therapy, DBT, CBT, psychoanalysis, which is fun, um, TMS, EMDR. Um, you can have a therapy, not only individual therapy, which we've been talking about, but you can go to group therapy, um, support groups. There's outpatient and inpatient for more serious mental health issues. Um, but like the whole gamut is here. Um, I, again, mentioned you can go on Psychology Today to find things. ZocDoc, religious or community resources often have... Um, therapy resources, um, or connections to the community, um, and community mental health centers. So what's your silver lining? I guess I kind of said it, but um, regardless of whether or not this person takes what I said to heart and changes their beliefs, or even if they don't change their beliefs, but mindset a little bit, I don't know even if they do nothing or become even more of a racist than they already, I can't say that they're a racist necessarily, even if they post more racist things. I am certain that I'm on a good, healthy trajectory with my outlook on life and people that don't have the same kind of privilege that I have. And that's, I'm the only person that I'm responsible for. Um, and that has kind of given me solace <laughs> through all of that. My silver lining is that there's a very easy solution to my screen turning yellow. And it's just <laughs> buying a new HDMI cable. Yeah. You know, like pretty easy. Can get one for under 10 bucks. Just yeah. it's not the worst situation in the world. You just need to do it. So that's my silver lining that it's not like a world ending situation. Yeah, that's good though. Like what if it was like a... a or those uh, the red, yellow, and white cables, RCA cables. If it VGA? was that, oh, that would be a lot. VGA is also hard to find now. But if it was like a, a defunct cable, that it would be is. A lot worse. It's a VGA to an HDMI, so there is a chance that it's the VGA cable that I'm having issues mm. with. But I'm just ignoring that possibility. If I knew more about VGA and HDMI, I might be able to tell you based on the colors that my screen <laughs> is going which one it is, but I've done every technical thing except for knowing that. It's probably the VGA just because it's an outdated technology. Anyway. We are at Self Hell Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can email us at hello at selfhellpodcast.com. If you like what you hear, please download, rate, review, subscribe, or whatever it takes to show your appreciation. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.